from the creators who brought you RuPaul's Drag Race and Million Dollar Listing. This is World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Uh, hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Wow Report. Counting down the top 10 things that made us go wow. With me is the amazing Tom Campbell, Chief Creative Officer, World of Wonder. James St. James, editor of the Wow Report. And myself, Fenton Bailey, co-founder of World of Wonder. So uh, we are still in Down Under, Tom and I. And James, you're in LA. Um, there you go. Where does it matter where anyone is? Anyway, it's all a remote experience for the rest of us. <laughs> Let's just start with the countdown then. Uh, number 10, who's dead? Number 10. It is, a, is another rest of perfection. And um, if this one hits home, um, the uh, originating, original member and founding member of the Supremes, the biggest girl group in history, probably only second is in groups and sales in the 60s to the Beatles, uh, Mary Wilson passed away suddenly in her sleep this week. And actually, we don't know the reason, but she she was she had posted something uh, for Black Lives Matter like last week. She looked great. She seemed great. She was seventy six years old. Um, uh, well, Mary Wilson, I saw that, and it was like two or three days before she died, and she was perky. She looked fantastic. She was happy. She was talking about new music. She was just she and and it's such a shock that like it can just death can just creep up on you like that. That's right. the big way. Life is precious. We should all thank uh, the good Lord every day when we wake up. Um, you know, I can go on and on about the Supremes, as you know. Um, I, I told Fenton this already, but I, you know, I, I literally was watching um, Supremes videos on YouTube the day she passed, which I would think was a great coincidence. I imagine that's every day, Tom. I did that every single day. And Tom's defense, we were just talking about Mary Wilson in the studio the day before, weren't we? We were like, and you were showing pictures of Mary Wilson. It's so weird. That is very weird. You killed her. There is this um, picture that came up on a uh, Supreme's like fan site that I'd never seen before. And there's a song that they sang their fifth number one in a row after when they first hit their number one called Back in My Arms Again. And it has and, and it has a lyric where how can Mary tell me what to do when she lost her love so true and flow? She don't know because the boy she loves is a Romeo. So she's not going to listen to her friend's advice anymore because she's back in her boyfriend's arms again. There, there, there. It's it's black and white on the film, and I've seen since color pictures where they're wearing this beautiful kind of yellow, orangey sarong outfit, oh, and you always see it. And there's this moment, and you see it a lot with Mary Wilson because when she says, "How can Mary tell me what to do?" Mary turns to Diana and like shakes her finger, and there's this picture where it's from the from the side during that same shoot from the side in full color you see the side of the backdrop you know it's like a very behind the scenes kind of guard and you see that's very moment where mary is waving her finger and i felt to me like we had seen like i knew that image so well from the front it's been broadcast for years and years and years and i thought it was like seeing the mona lisa from the side with like a hot dog you know it was like it was <laughs> it was so uh, so that was what i was responding to the day but the supremes you can't you know mary wilson 
after the Supremes, after Diana Ross left the Supremes in 1970, Mary Wilson kept uh, with the Supremes until 1977. She was the only original member to go the entire way when they broke up. And she has really dedicated her life, for better or worse, uh, perpetuating the, the, the legend of the Supremes. She had a book out last year about the Supreme fashions. Um, you know, she's uh, she was always a little bit in Diana Ross's shadow, but she also was a very strong personality and a diva and you can't underestimate the power that the supremes had on music and on civil rights and you know it's Dinah, um, um uh oprah has said among so many others that when she was a little girl in mississippi and she saw the supremes on the ed sullivan show that was the first time she saw black women on television it was like i want to be like that because they've been so badly portrayed as maids and things so uh, again, I can go on and on. I won't. But Mary Wilson, uh, rest in perfection. I, you know, without getting super corny, you kind of hope she's been reunited with Florence and having Flo, who uh, passed away in 1976. So um, it's a sad day. I was a little shocked to see. I mean, I guess I wasn't shocked, but that Miss Ross, her Twitter tweeted out, uh, 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 you know, condolences to the family and everything like that. And, you know, it's it's just nice to think that I don't know if it was actually Diana tweeted it or if an assistant did or whatever. But it's nice to think that Diana put everything aside at the end. Or I don't know. I have to think I, I, I'm being uh, romantic, but I think at the end of life, things, a lot of petty things that happened in your 20s when you marry or in your 70s don't matter as much anymore. I hope that's the case. No, that's not the case. <laughs> <Go to> my grave. <laughs> this means the reunion of the Supremes now will only be in heaven. That's right. Let's hope Diana Ross gets there. No, not, not, not. She doesn't need to rush. I love Diana Ross too. Yes. No, I don't. I wasn't shuffling her off, but you know, <laughs> she might go down, not up, you know. <laughs> oh, she's going up. <laughs> okay. Oh, Rest in power, rest in perfection, Mary Wilson, February 8th, 76 years young. James, number nine. Number nine. Uh, number nine, there have been some developments in the Army Hammer case that we talked about the other week. Um, he has, um, a couple more allegations have, have come forward. Uh, some girls that he has dated have said that there was, there was some abusive nature to the relationship. One girl said that he carved an A on her stomach with a knife and then licked the blood up. And another girl said that he would said that he was grooming her to be his perfect slave. Um, there was, um, Brandy Glanville, uh, the real housewife of Beverly Hills tweeted the other day, army, you can have my rib cage. Let's have barbecue. And she got a lot of blowback from that. And she had to apologize publicly for it. But the weird, oh, he was also dropped from his agency, WME, um, in the wake of all this ongoing scandal. But the big story was Sunday night, Twitter went ablaze, as it so often does, with the news that an army hammer, something big was about to drop. And it was going to just blow everybody's mind. It was worse than you thought. It was going to make you sick to your stomach when you find out what the story was. And so everyone is speculating what, what the story is, what the story is. Well, at the same time, in Palm Springs, in, out in the desert, they uncover the rema human remains of three bodies near a construction site. And it turns out Army Hammer worked on the construction site 
over the summer. For some reason, he was he was building a hotel over the summer, and in this and and right next to it is where they find the remains of these three women. And so everybody is saying online that Army Hammer killed these women, and he you know disposed of the bodies where, and that's why he took this job at a construction site, which is just it all. Of it, there's so many questions there. Well, the sheriff of San Bernardino County had to issue a statement saying we are not considering army a suspect at this time we will let you know as the story develops which right there is it like like that it got to the police like and they had to issue like an, an international thing saying army hammer did not murder these three women and it's just that thing that we've talked about so often where a story can just like take a life of its own online and yeah a lie can travel halfway around the world before the truth has a chance to put its shoes on exactly and it's it's nobody is saying that he's a murderer but everybody said it online and you have to wonder uh, the thing I find weird about Army Hammer was working on a construction site well that's in, just, yeah. in Palm Springs yes last summer you know it was it was during covid he um he took a job and I mean he has like five projects. I mean he's a multi-millionaire. He comes from a billionaire family. Was he slumming? Which why was he working there? It is was a mystery. He up and horrible. Like and was this a way for him to get out of the house? We don't know. There's well, so much. Someone that. also said that it was it was a friend of his. It was he was building a, a hotel and he just t- jumped in and said, "I'll yeah. help." Just to get outside and move around. Who knows? We don't know. I think, James, there's a, there's a serious point here about how, I mean, it's the lie can spread around the world. The truth, Vance, idea. Yeah. There, is, there is something uniquely, the distribution system now does, it, it takes it to another level and another well, level. There is no innocent until proven guilty anymore. It is, you know, guilty until proven guilty. It's mob rule. It's scary. Yeah. Right. And I did, you know, I um, I was sitting at home watching TV, and I got a phone call from my niece who was saying, "Oh my God, Army Hammer, Army Hammer!" Like, like literally within three minutes of the article coming out about the construction site. So I mean, like, it just it happens very fast, and everybody, it, it was just it was an odd uh, internet moment over the weekend. Well, that's a good segue actually to move on to number eight. Number eight, framing Britney Spears because. The idea that you are guilty until proven innocent is exactly the what is going on in this film made by the New York Times documentaries for the Fox-owned FX network. Uh, it is an extraordinary framing job of, I feel, Britney Spears and also her father. And I was, I could not believe watching the documentary and pairing that with the reactions to the documentary, it was sort of completely dissonant to me because everyone's saying, oh my God, this documentary is so good. Uh, uh, Britney Spears' dad is so evil. You have to consider this. He is painted as a bad person from the beginning. There is no facts about Jamie Spears in it other than the fact that he had problems with alcohol. He had businesses that went bankrupt. He was an absent father. That's in the first five minutes. No one substantiates that. Nothing to back it up. It's just a VO line. And he is just demeaned and smeared all the way through until, until, and the other interesting thing about this documentary is the main interviews are people at the New York Times. 
they are the main interviewees. Now, imagine if World of Wonder made a documentary about someone that we'd never met. Oh, let's make one about Army Hammer. And the only interviews are James, me, and Tom. Well, but wait a minute. I, I do want to say that that's something that has been happening for a long time now. I noticed that on CNN, both CNN and Fox stopped interviewing people on the street during natural disasters or when things happen. They just interview other CNN reporters, and Fox only interviews other Fox News reporters on the scene. And that's yeah. something that's been happening for a while. Okay, that's what Fox does, or maybe even CNN. This is the New York Times. The New York Times holds itself. Oh, it's own such trash lately. Its own standard. The last five oh. years of the New York Times has been nothing but Maggie Haberman sucking on Donald mm. Trump's teat. I will not have anybody talk about the standard of the New York Times. It has fallen so slow. I'm not holding up the New York Times, James. I'm saying how the New York Times presents itself and the hypocrisy of the values to which it pretends to aspire. I found this a deeply disturbing, upsetting documentary, and I was incredibly upset by the the sort of huge reaction to it of Free Britney. This is also a, a documentary that begins with Free Britney fans, almost like a QAnon mob, saying what the problem is, it begins that way and it ends that way. And in between, it presents no evidence whatsoever apart from op-ed thinking by three, four reporters of the New York Times, none of whom have met her, interviewed her, or done any research or work on the subject at all. It is shocking. Hey, I, I, I am not done. And, and then the other thing is, well, now I've lost my, I've lost my fragile train of thought. But, you know, it gives great play to Matt Lauer's interview of Britney Spears carrying the baby in her lap. Excuse me, Matt Lauer? We're going we're gonna to, like, use Matt Lauer as a sort of index of respectability and authenticity and who's going to really tell you the story? I was just, or, or, or Paris Hilton or Justin Timberlake. My God, look what Justin Timberlake did to Janet Jackson. There's none of that. It is the whole point. Right. You're the whole point is that they were besmirching Justin Timberlake. He oh. comes up as the biggest villain in the piece. He and Diane Sawyer. Can we talk about Diane no, Sawyer? No, 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 because New York Times all drive her to tears. The New York Times for years undoubtedly wrote trashily about Britney Spears and wrote her off and dismissed her. They participated in the same scrum that they now pretend to be judging in the name of also, but there's an even more serious point under this, which is that Britney Spears is someone who's dealing with mental illness. And that is an incredibly serious condition to be dealing with. And for the New York Times to weigh in with no evidence and question the conservatorship, look, why do I know this? I've met Britney Spears. I spent weeks with Britney Spears. I made a film about Britney Spears. I've met her father. I've met all the people that the New York Times couldn't be bothered to reach out to or said no, didn't no, 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 want to. At the very end, as they said that we've reached out to Britney, Jamie, oh, uh, the mother, the the brother, blah blah blah, and none of they were. They said that none of them actually believed that that they, the message actually got to Britney. Or indeed, in fact, I think that last card is the most incriminating, shameful thing of this whole exercise. What it says is, the New York Times attempted to reach Britney Spears to request our participation. It is unclear whether she ever received this request. Come on, that isn't an editorially neutral card. That is a woot woot, 
Britney Spears, free Britney Spears and the conservative. It is an extraordinarily it's pretending to be, oh, we did this, we did that. But it's it's a it's a dog whistle. But I have to say the Diane Sawyer, the Matt Lauer interview, the interview with the guy from Europe who asked about her breast size, Ed McMahon asking her at five years old where her boyfriend is. All of those things are incredibly damning and deserve to be exp- to, to, to be shown again in the way that Justin Timberlake weaponized it. They were absolutely true. And what that guy from the Us magazine who took the pictures and did the covers Every every single you know um, Us magazine for ten years in which they 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 you know lied about her and besmirched her and made her look like she was crazy and and this and that. I mean, you have to feel sorry for this girl and you have to feel sorry for for everything when she breaks down when when she says, "Please be strong, Brittany, be strong," and then she starts sobbing, saying, "Please, can we turn the camera off?" And the camera keeps. Going and going and going. Diane Sawyer has a history of this, doing it with Whitney Houston. She's done it with a bunch of people. She deserves to be on the hot seat for it. Matt Lauer deserves to be on the hot seat for this, plus everything else he's ever done, as well as Justin Timberlake and Ed McMahon. Ed McMahon is dead, but I don't see where you're saying, you know, this is, it's, it's, these people should be taking stats for it. Absolutely. Britney Spears was treated appallingly by the media. The New York Times was complicit in that first time around. They, yeah. they leave out their participation in that. They're not talking about their role in it. They're pointing the finger at other people. But more importantly, the conservative was set up, was set up to protect Britney and that Britney is struggling with mental issues and that her family do love her and that the idea that, that, that Jane, J- Jamie, her dad, is holding her hostage is completely unsubstantiated and to try and dismantle, to weigh in to dismantle this conservatorship with no, without looking at her, her mental capacity is shocking to me. It's, it's irresponsible. In so fact, it's, if, like, if, it's if that matter, James, 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 it is just more of the same of what you've just rightly pointed out. It is continuing to ill treat Brittany. But if the fact of the matter is is that Jamie is taking advantage of her, then shouldn't we get to the bottom of that and, and uh, get yes. off? Well, the New York Times, and they're supposed to do reporting and research. They're not just supposed to weigh in and interview each other. I, I agree with you. The New York Times is supposed to do that. But you're making it sound as if the courts shouldn't be looking into it or if, if that, that it's wrong uh, that uh, we uh, asking uh, for her father to uh, be removed. Uh, 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 uh. I am criticizing this documentary as a irresponsible it's just a complete irresponsible further exploitation of Britney Spears. It sort of sounds like you're sticking up for Jamie being in the conservatorship. And I want to just make, make it clear that if he is in the wrong, then by all means, we should do whatever we can to, to make sure. I've been silent this whole time. This is the best segment of the wow report. I felt like I was in my car driving, listening, but I'll just, I think, I think all of these issues that they bring up in this documentary may be legitimate and should be researched and should go through a court of law. But not by the New York Times? But they didn't do it. They just they- weighed it as opinion. It's, it's you know, and, and the fact that they got, usually when you get access to no one, you don't do a documentary. Is that fair to say? If you can't talk to any of the major players. Anyway, we probably need to move on. But I, I, uh, I, I think it's a fascinating point of view, Fenton, because everyone seems to be jumping on the, Free Britney train, and she's always been the kind of performer like Judy Garland that people project a lot on, right? We've always said that that people that she's this fragile person in this in this harsh world, and people 
uh, and fans want to protect her. So she's a fragile person, James. The fact that she recently turned up to one of the court hearings about a conservatorship barefoot and disheveled suggests she isn't that well. But again, that wasn't in this film. So if you're going to make a film framing Britney Spears, which is proposing that the court, the conservatorship is is wrong, you need to you need to investigate that, not just sound off opinions and point the finger at other magazines that have been complicit in persecuting Britney over the years. It's just. It's such a muddled. But don't you think that that something like this has gotten the conversation started, and that that's a good thing ultimately? Whether or not you like the New York Times for what the way they did it, it it mm-hmm. did it has gotten the entire world to talk about these various ways that she's been treated poorly by the media, and that that's, I think is ultimately that's a good, a good thing. spin. That's a good spin. You may be right, but it's also just the idea that we have to have things black and white villains bad guys like it's a marvel comic and life is a lot more complicated it is i think james it's a bit like uh getting the conversation started if the new york times did framing the QAnon, and basically you had new york times reporters saying yes but really hillary did run a pedophile ring and you know i i think you know the, the evidence is there without ever pre- presenting any facts i think they've just really fanned the flames of an ill-informed ignorant conversation so i don't think it's really helped anyone uh, well, I guess that is your segment. <laughs> you can say that you want. I, I, I guess we have to take a break. Uh, Blake, if you got a question for us. I do. <clears throat> this one's a little multiple choice. And it's for Black History Month. At the time of her historic bus incident, what was Rosa Parks' occupation? Was she a hospital orderly, a drugstore clerk, a high school cafeteria worker, or a department store seamstress? Oh, you're listening to Wow Report on Radio Andy, and we'll have the answer right after the break. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. And welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with James and Tom and Blake. You had a question. Yes, I asked, what was Rosa, at the time of the historic bus incident, what was Rosa Parks' occupation? Was it a hospital orderly? a drugstore clerk, a high school cafeteria worker, or a department store seamstress? I think she was a department store seamstress. You're right. Yeah. Okay. Good. We are counting down the top 10 things that made us go, wow, we've reached number seven. Number seven. You know, in these times where there's COVID and so many things happening, you know, in the impeachment trial, it's fun just to attack the super rich. <laughs> and <laughs> the New York Times, controversial to this on this show, um, had an article about 432 Park Avenue, which is one of those huge, tall, 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 skinny, 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 skinny buildings that only billionaires live in. It's in it's in a section of New York that's called Billionaires Row, which is just so awful. And the place is a dump. <laughs> and billionaires are complaining. And it brings me so much joy. I don't know what that means my karma i don't care um for instance um the garbage chute it whistles or something doesn't it yes it's like it's crazy there's incredibly it's so it moves so much that there's haunting sounds all night long (laughs) so beams are like creaking and the wind is going through the hallway it's um, it's sort of an amazing building. It, it's like they call it the needle, the pin needle or something like that. And it, it's like only one apartment per floor, isn't it? 
Yes. It goes up like 3,000 stories. It's just crazy. Yes. And one of the the um, apartments the high went for $88 million. Disgusting. Disgusting. It's- Disgusting, and you know, and and uh, it's it, uh, what I'm it, it, the plumbing's horrible. There's there's, there's lots of super uh, uh, extensively damaged uh, flooding going on all over the stuff. Um, oh, I want to find the yeah, I heard that, um, because it moves so much, the pipes keep on breaking and flooding floors. Yes. You know, it's, I lived um, in a, a skyscraper riverbank for a long time in New York, and um, I was only on the 14th or 19th floor, something like that. And the way it swayed just there in this big building like that, I can only imagine being on like the 80th floor or something of a tiny little bit. You must literally be, your furniture must be sliding around like it's on the Titanic. You know, those skinny scrapers though, they do look stunning, don't they? I mean, they make the skyline really like dramatic. Um, Did you ever live there, Fenton? Did you ever live in a giant high skyscraper way up in the sky? You know, rich as I am, I don't have $88 million. <laughs> I have a feeling that they're going to go down in price. After this, yeah. article. It might be, well, this might be a great time to nab one. It's funny you mention it because uh, Hudson Yards is an article about that. Hudson Yards, you know, the, the multi-billion dollar development is sitting empty. Yeah. Um, I saw so, a video of that. Yeah. And I think that they're going to, you know, it, it seems that, like they might be the demand for these things might be falling away. and that, But weirdly, you know, uh, the Donald Trump's first project in Manhattan was the, the Grand Hyatt, right? By um, um, Grand Central, right? He covered the whole thing in mirrors. You know, that was his first. They're going to demolish that. Good. And they're building a 1,646-foot tower, which is only 100 feet shorter than One World Trade. It's going to be massive. Um, that's going to be open in 2030. But is well, the whole city elevators. bankrupt? You know, I mean, it, it, it's all going to just be like places for homeless people to live. I mean, they're going to open it up for, you know, I mean, how can, there are no rich in New York anymore, are there? Well, there's rich people in the world and they all buy real estate and who knows what money laundering goes on. But yeah. I, I just, I hope whatever, you know, so the elevators don't work, the plumbing doesn't work, the garbage chute makes noise, and uh, everyone's really unhappy. And uh, billionaires ah. on Billy row in 422 Park. Thank there you. you go. <laughs> All right, let's go on to number um, six, James. Number six. Number six. I, um, in 1997, I read a book called The Lives of Monster Dogs. The Lives of the Monster Dogs. And it was the, one of the best books I'd ever read. It was a novel by a woman named um, Kirsten Bacchus, I think her name was. And I had been, tr- for the last 20 years, I've been trying to remember what the title of this book was and trying to find it again. And I finally, the other day, went, oh my God, and realized what it was. And I got it and I reread it. And I, well, I'm rereading it right now. And it's this hypnotically written, lyrically written book and it's set in the year 2008, which is the future at the time. And it's in New York City. And all of a sudden, there appears this group of upright walking, talking dogs, these monster dogs with prosthetic hands. And they're dressed in 19th century 
finery with top hats and tails and bustle skirts and pearls and lorgnettes. And they speak in this very genteel manner of speaking that suggests they're from the 19th century. And they become instant superstars. And they're on the cover of Vogue and Vanity Fair. And everywhere they go, they're the most glamorous. People, crowds are following them wherever they go. And people are cheering them on and everything. Well, it turns out that they were uh, science experiments from a mad scientist in the 19th century, a Prussian scientist. And when he died, their city that he built for them was cut off from the rest of the world for 100 years. And so they, when they finally got out, that's when they, they come to New York City and they try and like become part of civilization again, but it doesn't work. And they uh, decide to build this giant fantastical castle on the Lower East Side, and then they're going to barricade themselves in for, for all, and they're, they're dying of a, this weird disease. There's a lot going on, but it's absolutely fantastic. And it's told through diary entries and interviews and gossip columns. And it's, it's just, it's like a piecemeal of this existence of these glamorous talking dogs. And I just think that everybody needs to read it. It's fantastic. It does sound fantastic. Does it make you want to have a dog? <laughs> well, I've always wanted a dog. I'm a dog, dog person. I just, I would, um, you might disappear for days at a time. They die in my house. I couldn't, I couldn't <laughs> have a dog. Um, but, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I do think that, that somebody needs to make this into a movie because it just sounds like a perfect movie. It, with these, just I, you just see these glamorous dogs and these fabulous, you know, big picture hats with veils and they, their hands that are going like this. Uh, just it just seems very cinematic to me. Uh, this is number five. Number five. It is um, a book. It's called The Velvet Mafia. Uh, and the subtitle is The Gay Man Who Ran, The Gay Men, i sorry, Who Ran the Swinging 60s. Oh. And what, this is, I mean, it's amazing to me, actually, that, that someone hasn't written a book about it before. But here's the thing. In Britain, after the war, it was very bleak. And in America, you had Elvis and rock and roll and all that malarkey. In the UK, you didn't have that. And people in the UK started looking around and thinking, why can't we have that? A long story very short, um, a guy called Larry Parnas decided to create British stars. Uh, Billy Fury, Tommy Steele, Marty Wilde, none of those are their real names. He minted one star after another. He basically was the man who invented pop. And when I say pop, it the thing about pop is it wasn't just the music. It was also partnered with television. This was a time that the BBC had just started airing. They began to have the very first music shows. And I think you can trace this really interesting line that, that pop actually comes from Britain. I, yes, rock and roll is U.S., pop is British. And, of course, the most famous, uh, I, I, I like to call them the, the fat controllers, but they were all these gay managers. Uh, the most famous is Brian Epstein, who discovered and managed the Beatles, of course. Brian Epstein was gay? I never knew. <laughs> um, someone I know personally, Simon Napier-Bell, incredibly flamboyant, fabulous musician. He discovered Mark Brolin. He went on to manage Wham. He took Wham to China. Um, Robert Stigwood, who's American, of course. Uh, Ken Pitt, who managed David Way. I mean, the list goes on and on. Um, and so someone's written a book about it called The, the Robert, Velvet Mafia. Robert Stigwood's Australian. Continue. Oh, well, thank you very much for that correction. Yes, right. Well, anyway, if you're a manager uh, looking after a musician, chances are you're gay. <laughs> <laughs> and then 
in the 90s, it was Randy and Fenton who managed RuPaul. And they're gay. Totally gay. <laughs> but it's really, it's, yes, it's really interesting. Uh, and I, I think what's interesting is the way that music and television very early on get, got together. And so sort of, because pop isn't just about them. It isn't just the music. It isn't just the ability to sing or to play. It's also this ability to package and to present a visual side of it. So um, I recommend it. Yeah. And I suppose in, in, in a way you can see, I suppose the connection to Britney is you can see the beginnings. This is the sort of the beginnings of that, of that confection of pop that, you know, got more and more sophisticated. Um, who was the manager who managed uh, Backstreet Boys and NSYNC? Oh, Lou, Lou, Lou. Woo Perlman. Woo Perlman. Yeah, you yeah. know, they another 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 classic figure. I, I should probably say that the managers of Britney are not gay. I should just say that before. Not that we know of. No, not that we know. All right. What's the name uh, of the book again? The name of the book is The Velvet Mafia, The Gay Men Who Ran the Swinging 60s. Love it. Uh-huh. All right. Let's take a break. Oh, by the way, before we take a break, I... Just got to tell you, um, Kino Lorba has just acquired North American distribution to Voynerovich, the Chris McKim documentary. Voynerovich, Fuck You, Faggot Fucker is the full title, uh, which will be released in theaters and VOD on March 19th. Congratulations to Chris McKim. That's so exciting. I know. He's made such a good film. It's so powerful. And, you know, it's just so relevant today because... Voynerovich was all about speaking out about AIDS and the government's indifference and cruelty and what he called the one tribe nation. And here we are, or have been recently again with a, another pandemic and another presidency. And you managed to um, get one interview, one of the biggest stars on the planet, one of the superstars of 2021, Fran Lebowitz, who is, is, is interviewed in it. And you knew at the time you interviewed her that she would take off the way she has this year. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Brandon Lee Lewis, the other Britney Spears. Go on. <laughs> Brandon Lee Lewis is the other Britney Spears. She's so popular right now. Right. Exactly. Oh, I miss Britney. Um, Blake, you have a question? I do. I have another multiple choice for Black History Month. Oh, good. And this one I didn't even know. So, did you know that rapper Tupac Shakur was a student at the Baltimore School of Performing Arts? I did not know. Well, he was. And he took which of these classes? Hip-hop and poetry, theater and modern dance, music appreciation and film, or ballet and poetry? Oh, I know the answer to this one. Um, We'll be right back after the break with the answer. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to The Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with James St. James and Tom Campbell. We're counting down the top 10 things of the week that made us go wow. But first, Blake, you had a question for us. Yes, I do. Rapper Tupac Shakur actually... I love the way you say that. Just say that one more time. It's it's just very Arkansas. (laughs) Rapper Tupac Shakur. (laughs) (laughs) He attended the Baltimore School of Performing Arts. Which classes did he take? Was it hip-hop and poetry, theater and modern dance, music appreciation and film, or ballet and poetry? I'm going to say 
modern dance, but do you think it was the fourth one, Fenton? Ballet I'm going to say poetry. I'm going to say ballet and poetry because it's the, it's the most out there one. That's the only reason why I'm saying it. He Me did too. take ballet and poetry. <laughs> now, another little, another little trivia. Guess who else went to that school and he met in 1985? Kanye West? Jada Pinkett Smith. Oh, they actually used to date. I did know that. I do remember that one. So there you go. I'm still floored about your um. Everybody working at the 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 department store. Remember the other day you had like five stars that were all working um, in Brooklyn. At the yeah. Call Center, Salt and Peppa, Clay, yeah. and Martin Lawrence. I think about that every day. Oh, yeah, crazy. Danes, that could be a book. Yeah, right? Stars who knew each other when. Yeah. All right, we're counting down the top 10 things that made us go, wow, we've reached number four. Number four. Oh, that's me again. I wanted to know, um, what did you guys think of the weekend's performance at the Super Bowl? James? (laughs) Well... I don't understand the weekend. I just don't get him. I the whole, you know, every single one of his songs is just three notes in different orders. He never uses anything but the same three notes over and over again. There's a big what? That is the definition of pop music. It's three notes. Okay, there you go. Um, I don't. I he sound. He's Michael Jackson light to me. He. It seems like he's just doing a Michael Jackson impersonation. I don't get the the plastic surgery thing that he's been doing lately i don't get the commentary there it's just he doesn't seem to be the vessel for it i don't know i don't get it so i'm not the one to ask well i will say i've never been that big of a fan of the weekend until this pandemic hit and i was i was driving to michelle visages once sometimes twice a day out in uh, like beware of dropping names (laughs) Like 40 minutes away, but it was for our show that we did. Um, Where's your head head on? And and his album had just come out. So I listened to it on the way there and on the way back a few times. And I absolutely fell in love with it. Okay. There are so many great songs on this album. I love the visions or, you know, the, the imagery. It's uh, it's supposed to tell a story, and that's what no one gets. Like they're like, why is everyone wearing bandages on their head? And they ask this every time he performs. Like no one else has had a gimmick. I just don't get, and I don't understand. He spent seven million of his own money on this halftime show, which I think was brilliant, considering that they didn't have the fans on the field and all that stuff. Why did everyone hate it so much? I mean, Wait. I love the plastic surgery. I just want to know more. Tell me, more. like, do you, do you know, well, like? Yeah, there was a thing. Let me find it. Hang on. Sorry. Okay. Why the weekend's dancers had bandages on their faces during the Super Bowl halftime show. This is from Glamour. And it says, uh, it's all part of the story. The weekend's telling with his most recent vi- videos. The basic storyline is this. The weekend trips while partying in Vegas. Then he gets even more hurt and decapitated. In his music video for Too Late, his head is attached to another person's body. We then saw him at several award shows, blah, blah, blah. And he says that he does this, the significance of, this is what he says. The significance of the entire head bandages is reflecting on the absurd culture of Hollywood celebrity and people manipulating themselves for superficial reasons 
to please and be validated. Okay. Can I, can I weigh in, please? Yeah, please. I, I, love, I think my critiques are best when I haven't actually seen the thing I'm critiquing. <laughs> I have not seen, I did not see, I'm, I'm, I'm overseas, time change, busy. I did not see the halftime show for the first time in a long time. I know it's online, but I'm very busy. Did I mention I'm very busy? But so just watching the reaction, can I remind us every year how bad everybody thought Madonna's halftime show was? Watch that online. It's a piece of art. You know mm. what I'm saying? It's like there's something about that particular event and live events in general where people just get on. Remember when their- they did J-Lo and Shakira last year? How yeah. they slut-shamed them for shaking And that was movies? an exciting and vibrant thing. Yeah. I said this years ago. I saw Diana Ross. I, I happened to be invited to the Super Bowl. The one time I was, I had no idea that Diana Ross was the halftime show where she took <laughs> off in a helicopter. Oh, I and find it hard to believe. I didn't know, but it was amazing. But I, um, but I'm just saying, when you're actually there, the other thing that no one cares about is when you're actually, it's a football field, and then ten minutes later, it's a pyrotechnic stage performance with thousands of people dancing in unison and doing things, and then a half hour later, it's a football field. I mean, what they do for us, what they present to us, is so amazing, and people are kind of like, yeah. I like my chocolate, you know, a little bit darker. I like I like nuts in my chocolate. Yeah, you know. Well, I okay. do know that that one of the complaints was is that the gays always feel like it's their time. And you, you had Beyonce, you had Shakira and J Lo, you had um, Madonna, you had uh, you always had Lady Gaga, you always Amy. had Katy Perry. It's always very gay centric, and that the weekend is not as gay friendly, and so the gays were a little upset. I think the gays now have RuPaul's Drag Race as their Super Bowl. So, you know, now you can't you can't co-opt the Super Bowl. I'm just teasing. The gays get plenty. Um, well, people are too negative. Enjoy. Take a deep breath. Enjoy oh, the, the millions of dollars of entertainment that's flowing by your eyes for free. Spoiler alert. If you like halftime shows and gay performers, All Star 6 might have a, 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 a challenge that, that uh, excites you. Mm. All right. Well, I'll post the link to the weekend Super Bowl performance on the Wow Report so you can watch it, Tom. Thank you. All right. Let's move on to number three, James. Number three. Uh, A trailer for a documentary dropped that I want to talk about about because it absolutely is a fascinating, fascinating, fascinating story. Um, It's called The Most Beautiful Boy in the World. And it's a documentary about Bjorn Anderson. Tom, does that name ring a bell to you? No, I thought it was about me and I didn't know about it. Keep going. No, keep going. It was um, Bjorn Anderson was uh, cast in the movie Death in Venice in 1971 when he was 15 years old. And the Death in Venice, of course, is based on a novella by Thomas Mann. And it tells the story of an old writer, an older man who goes to visit Venice at the turn of last century. And while he's on the beach, he spies this 14-year-old boy who is just the most beautiful thing he's ever seen. And he becomes obsessed with this boy's beauty, which he likens to Michelangelo's David. And and, and he starts following the boy around Venice. And he basically stalks him for the entire book and the entire movie. And it's Dirk Beauregard in the movie, and he's following. Uh, Marissa Berenson is the mother, and it's all Edwardian fashions. It's, but anyway, 
Visconti, Luciano Visconti, who is the director of the movie, who always does the most amazing movies of all time, he had this casting call for the most beautiful boy in the world. And it was like the casting call for Scarlett O'Hara in Gone with the Wind. He saw thousands of boys around the world. And you see him, the boys are parading in front of him shirtless as he's like looking at all these 13-year-old boys. And he's like, take off your shirts. Now turn around. Let me see, you know, let me see your teeth. You know, like he's just, it's just so gross what he's doing. And he finally alights upon Bjorn Anderson, who is just, just saying this androgynous gazelle of a boy. Just really, I mean, when you say the most beautiful boy in the world, this boy is just, I mean, cheekbones and just pouty lips and just everything that this pedophile would want in a, you know, in a 14 year old boy. He, he's and when the movie comes out he becomes this instant superstar and when he goes to tokyo it's like the beatles i mean wherever he goes it is like he is called the most beautiful boy in the world and it's then you you switch to now and you see him 50 years later and he looks like gandalf the gray he's got gray long hair and a gray beard and he's wearing a gray robe and he's sort of like hunchbacked and he's talking about how to this day he is still grappling with the idea that he was sexualized and fetishized as a prepubescent boy by the media, by the film community. Everywhere he went for, for 10 years, it was like he was dragged to gay bars when he was 14 and like put on stage and like ogled and hooted and hollered at. And he tells the story about how he still to this day has a problem with it. And it's just, it looks like it's just a fascinating movie. It came out in the end of January and it is, um, I, th- I don't know if it's on demand. I don't think it is, but yeah. it's not only it uh, premiered at the Sundance Film Festival. Oh, but okay. It's, it's just, isn't it James? Because in a way it touches, it's, it's Britney adjacent. It in this, really? It, it, that same, we have a, a late motif in this show today mm. where it's just, and um, if you've never seen death in Venice, it's creepy and it's awful, but it's one of the most beautifully filmed movie of all times. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm a this thing is a documentary? It's a documentary about the boy in the making of the movie Death in Venice in 1971 okay. with Wisconsin. Right. Thank you. Yes. Um, gosh, the, the whole film is like a sort of a reverie. And the book is fabulous, too. It's meant to be a meditation on growing older and how, um, you know, the chasing of youth and the chasing, you know, like the passing of the baton from one and about art and what is, you know, it, beauty in art and everything is it's beautifully written by Thomas Mann, but it also is about an, an aging pedophile and lusting after a young boy. And, you know, I, I mean, I don't know if he's a pedophile so much as he, because it, he's got this case of writer's block, right? And it's yes. what, what the, what Thomas Mann is trying to do is sort of evoke this idea of classical eternal beauty, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's a great image in the film at the end where the, the, the old man who's lingered too long in Venice and this disease sort of is ill and the dye of his hair trickles down his face. Like Giuliani. <laughs> It is. It is exactly Giuliani has given the film new um, currency because of that. Well, similarity yeah, that's one of the creepy things too at the very end when he's talked into like he's trying to make himself look more presentable for the boy, I guess. And he goes and he gets his hair dyed and he has this makeup caked on and it's in this plague ridden you know era of of and it the heat and it's all melting and his face is melting. It's like Baby Jane Hudson is what it is. It's it's, it's really one. It's an indelible image. 
right? It's an iconic moment. All right, number two. Number two. I'm uh, going to continue the theme of old men with dyed black hair. Uh, in this case, it is the media mogul Robert Maxwell, who died in, I think, 91 or 92. Um, he was a rival of Rupert Murdoch's. Um, he was a Czechoslovakian. Um, he was the son of an animal skin trader from Czechoslovakia. His parents and grandparents uh, and siblings were shot by the Nazis during the war, and he became a war hero. But Robert Maxwell really found fame as a media baron in the 80s and uh, early 90s. Um, I'm telling you all this because there's a new book out uh, called Fall, The Mystery of Robert Maxwell by John Preston, who's one of my favorite nonfiction authors. He wrote The Dig. We talked about The Dig last week. He also wrote A Very British Scandal about Jeremy Thorpe, homosexual affair and scandal in the 70s, which we've talked about here before, which was the Hugh Grant series, the fabulous Hugh Grant series. Um, and Robert Maxwell, there have been biographies about him before, but this is a humdinger. It begins in 1991 with this beautiful four-story yacht coming up the Hudson and mooring in New York Harbor. Um, and on board is Robert Maxwell, who is like 300 pounds. And he said, oh, by the way, I should tell you, the name of the yacht is Lady Ghislaine. Oh! Lady Ghislaine because Robert Maxwell is the father of Ghislaine Maxwell. Talk about oh, Yes! Way to bury the lead! Um, but the reason in 1991 <laughs> is that he's in New York is that he has bought the new the Daily News, which then was in the midst of a terrible um, bankruptcy and everyone was being fired and it was very violent. They were like the unions were burning the delivery trucks and Wait, this is in New York in the early eighties. Yeah. Okay. He rescued the Daily News in the early nineties, and this was the pinnacle of his success. He was really you know to buy a New York tabloid paper. See, Rupert Murdoch had beaten him time and time again in these competitions to acquire properties. Finally, Maxwell gets gets the New York Daily News. Um, and within 18 months, he's dead. Because what turned out is that his whole empire was a bloated, corrupt thing. He died. Um, he died, I think, about a billion pounds were missing from his company. And he had raided the pension plan of his employees to keep up this whole illusion lifestyle. It was like a sort of, he was, you know, managing a giant Ponzi scheme, basically. And are the, they all though eventually? I guess so. On so. that struggling debt, robbing Peter to pay Paul, or what is it? Paul yeah. Mary? Yeah. yeah. And um long story short, he he dies, uh he falls off the back of well, this is the thing. He dies, he's on his yacht in the Mediterranean. Um, uh, and he, one, they, they're, they're looking for him the next day, and he's gone. And and the question is, did he fall overboard? Did he commit suicide? Did, was he pushed? Because he had connections to Mossad all the way through his career. So, or did yeah. he escape? Did he escape? Oh, is he still living on an island somewhere with Hitler and and uh, Lindbergh baby? I don't believe so because they found his body the next day floating in the water. Uh, and it was, my point exactly. And it well, actually, Tom, to your point, to your point, he was buried very, very quickly on the Mount of Olives, which isn't, you know, where in, in Israel, which isn't where, you know, 
you got to be someone to get married on the Mount of Olives, you know. Yeah, we'll see. Well, but were you able to glean any um, uh, backstory for for Ghislaine, uh that, that made her you realize why she is the way she was? Well, the answer to that is yes and no. One, I haven't finished the book. Uh-huh. Two. I actually met, you know, unlike New York Times doing these Britney Spears things, I actually met Robert Maxwell. When I was a student at Oxford, the uh, ISIS magazine, which was the university magazine, was in terrible financial trouble. And I had become editor of the magazine (laughs) and thought it was a good idea to go to Robert Maxwell because he had this baronial hall just outside of Oxford and ask him to ask him for some money and some support. And I'll never forget was ushered into a room that must have been 100 feet long and had a table 50 feet long. And at the end of it was Robert Maxwell. And as I walked towards him, there was a pile of files on a, on the table, but they were sort of on the edge. And as I walked past, they I brushed them and they fell to the floor. <laughs> Not a good way to begin a meeting. Did so you I, get the money? I stooped down to pick up the files. And he said, leave it. And I, I, you're being far too polite and British. I kept on picking up, and he shouted at the top of the I said, leave it! <laughs> so from that, the meeting went from bad to worse. <laughs> but long story short, he said that he would put money in and save the magazine, but that he had to have editorial control. And, and this may surprise you, but I had the wherewithal and the scruples to say thanks, but no thanks. So... But it's interesting that um, the Daily News uh, is so left-leaning as opposed to the New York Post, which is so right-leaning. And I wonder if his politics probably didn't match up, but he just wanted to fuck with um, Rupert Murdoch and be, go the opposite direction. He was obsessed with Rupert Murdoch, but he was very left-wing. He also oh, owned the okay. Daily Mirror. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, okay. But he was a frightful person, um, had a terrible temper, um, ignored, completely ignored the existence of Ghislaine Maxwell, because I think the day after she was born, um, his oldest son was in a terrible car crash and was in a coma. So the family was blighted by tragedy. And uh, Ghislaine was completely ignored until, I think, age 12. She confronted her parents and stamped her foot and said, I exist, damn it. So that'll do it. That, that'll lend to some trauma, I suppose. Right. I, I, exactly. I think, the, and I have to say that afternoon I spent at Headington Hill Hall was one of the most terrifying, dark, bleak experiences. And you've had some terrifying, dark, and bleak experiences in your life, I know. So, to, to... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right, let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll reveal the number one thing that made us go wow this week. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to Wow Report. I'm Fenton um, with James and Blake and Tom. What was the number one thing this week then? Number one. We were going to do two things. We, it was going to be sort of a news, news of the weird situation, I believe. What were the two things? There's the, the... Well, there's the guy who, the lawyer who was a cat on his Zoom call. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I don't know if it, that if you saw that one, Fenton. Where you, I, you did. I did. I keep playing it over and over. <laughs> I, I was like... Thank goodness there's a meme to replace the Bernie Sanders meme. I feel like- <laughs> Oh, yeah, because, you know, there's the, the real housewife and she's shouting at the cat. And yes. she's like, you're a cat. And he's like, I'm not a cat. And that was sort of went back and forth. Um, but the other big story. Speaking of-, of, speaking of memes, there's tons of memes for this 
Go ahead, James. Oh, the, the Gorilla Glue Girl and yes. the, the tragedy of the Gorilla Glue Girl, how she was doing her hairdo, and she decided to, to put it down with Gorilla Glue and put it, a ponytail on, and then she couldn't get it off. And she's still, like, a month later. How long has it been? It's been, like, a month, and she's gone to the ER, and they told they her. didn't help. Yeah, they couldn't help. They told her, Gorilla Glue told her to use uh, rubbing alcohol. That didn't work. So she's thinking of suing them because it says it's all purpose. So she thought that. Well, I do know that she um, got a phone call from an L.A. plastic surgeon who said that he could probably help her and he was going to fly her out um, and do it pro bono. This is terrifying. I hope she learned a lesson. Well, I certainly learned a lesson just just following the story. Yeah, I I will not use Gorilla Glue on my hair. And always use Gorilla Glue because that that shit sticks. It's <laughs> true. Uh, I guess I get. I I just have a hard time understanding how all purpose can then be turned into put it in your hair. It doesn't. Yeah, I don't. Well, get no. I mean, I know. I there were times in my life where I have. I mean, every drag queen has glued things on their hair. I used to. T- I had two ponytails that I would. I was bald and I would super glue the ponytails on and I remember I was at a club and some evil queen came and went like that and ripped it off and I had a giant scar I mean mm-hmm. I bled cope I mean it was just and I used to glue um uh uh sequins and rhinestones and stuff to my head with super glue and then mm-hmm. I'd be high and pick them off and I would have like big circles oh. and scars and that's but you're not you're not suing super glue, are you? Because you I mean, knew what I, was I was stupid enough to to have a few cocktails and decide to super glue things. And I know like all the drag queens super glue those big earrings to their yeah. ears and rip them off every I time. Think the thing that she may have been confused about, I read that she usually uses got to be glue. That's the name of the hair brand um, stuff that she uses. So maybe she just didn't know that glue meant glue. Or she saw the G and thought she just misread it. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Well, those are our. That was our number one. News. Wait, the, dog, the dog is barking, so we got to get off. And <laughs> I know he is. He. He. We were talking about uh, sophisticated dogs. I think I've got one. <laughs> he, knows the, he knows the show is over. He's like, I've had enough of this shit. <laughs> Thanks for tuning into the Wear Report. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, James. Thank you, Blake. Um, you can listen to previous episodes on our YouTube channel, Wow Presents. Um, in the meantime, same play, same same time, same place next week. And until then, go out, wear your mask, stay safe, and do something that makes the world go wow. wow.